All right, it's so good to see all of your beautiful faces this morning here at Tri-Cities Church. Hey, if this is your first time here with us, we do welcome you. We are an alive church, no matter how we sound uh, when we say good morning. It is a good morning. Uh, The sun is shining and Jesus Christ reigns, and that is true every morning. My name is Wesley. If this is your first time here and you've never met me, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the joy of being able to uh, preach here at Tri-Cities Church. Uh, We've been journeying through the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 14 this morning. Such a powerful scripture, which, um, which, um, which as I read it, I have a lot of questions that emerge out of this passage of scripture. And I realize that this section could become a series in itself. That is not happening. Uh, We are uh, covering this section this morning, but here's what I want to ask you to do and challenge you to do. If you have questions that emerge as you read uh, John chapter 14 or any section of the Bible, um, please allow yourself to ask those questions. Feel free and comfortable asking those questions, even um, even if those questions seem out of line with some of the assumptions or things that you've been taught about the Bible. Um, But allow yourself to ask those questions and seek the Lord for guidance. And then also, I never leave out this part, also do so in community with other believers. Because there's a scripture that says the heart is deceitful, deceitful, deceitful. Um, and that it will lead us astray. And so it's important that we are actively reading the scriptures, but also doing it in community with other believers so that together we can work our way through um, the Bible to an understanding of what God is saying to us. Um, First, what God has said to his people, and then what God is saying to us today. Um, One one announcement before we get into our message this this morning. Every um, November uh, since our church started, Uh, We've taken up a big offering. Uh, We call it Big Give Sunday. In fact, the first Big Give Sunday was before our church was a church that was meeting every week. We were only meeting once a month over in Hapeville Elementary School. And that's when we took up our first Big Give offering. And the Big Give offering is really something that we do every year to express our gratitude for what God has done. It comes right around the time of Thanksgiving. This year it will be November 19th. Um, but it is also Tri-Cities Church's uh, mission budget, if you will. Um, basically, we take it up and we give it all away uh, to missions. And so um, last year, we supported four different ministries. Uh, and um, sometimes they're internal ministries that, that function out of Tri-Cities Church. And some of them were ministries um, that, that uh, are not necessarily affiliated with Tri-Cities Church, but people who are doing good work in our community that we chose to partner with. Um, but every November, we choose to do that. We, we take up an offering, and we give it all away. Um, this year, we will be doing that on November the 9th, um, and 19th, sorry, November the 19th, thank you. Uh, we'll be doing that on November the, the 19th. And here's what I want to challenge you to do, um, beginning today, and I wanted to get this out here early, um, because I want you saving your pennies, nickels, dimes, and dollars. Um, I want you saving your pennies, nickels, dimes, and dollars uh, so that you could give, give to this. And this is over and above our regular offering. So uh, don't, um, don't choose not to give 
in the regular offering because um, we want to have a candlelight service at uh, uh, Christmas Eve, but we don't want to have a candlelight service all of December. Um, so please don't like rob from the general offering fund at Tri-Cities Church. If not, we will be sitting in here in the dark, and that will not be fun for any of us. Uh, acoustic, unplugged, Tri-Cities Church unplugged. Um, no, that, that is a joke. We, don't, we, we as, at Tri-Cities Church do practice responsible stewardship. We are not living budget to budget. If, we, uh, if, if offering is short one month, the lights will not get cut off, but don't try two months, I'm just saying. <laughs> one month, we're good. Two, I don't know. Um, uh, but all jokes aside, please uh, begin uh, saving and preparing for, for that offering. All right, you, you'll hear more about the different ministries we'll support uh, in, in the days ahead. You'll, you'll hear a lot more about those, and, um, and you'll get to know the people in the ministries that we'll be supporting. All right, well, let's, oh, did that do something weird? Sorry, all right, let's, let's pray, and then we'll get into our message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open the Scriptures. And that we get the opportunity right now to open our hearts to your word. God, please open our hearts more fully so that we can hear your word and that it can become a part of us. And that as we listen to the words we, you spoke, we will become more like you. And as we become more like you, the world will come to know you. God, that is the promise found in the scriptures. And that is the joy that we get to live into. And so please, God, guide us as we study John chapter 14. Make it come alive. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, every time I read John chapter 14, I think about funerals because I think this passage of Scripture has been read at almost every funeral I've ever attended. And I think rightly so, um, because there's so much hope packed into one section of Scripture for those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. I can't think of another section of Scripture that has this much hope, this much joy that opens up my imagination in any other way other than John chapter 14. It begins in, in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, let's just get a little bit of context for this. And just in case you're going, what, what, where's, where's the hope in that? Here we have Jesus Christ speaking, right? He's talking to his disciples. This is the night before the crucifixion. Uh, he's sitting down having this intimate moment with his disciples where he is, um, where he's having these different conversations with them right before he goes to the cross. And so there's these, these moments before the cross where he's unpacking the significance of the cross and what he's getting ready to do for them on the cross. And, and, and he sits down and he says, um, and this, this whole time, this whole time, is the mic doing something weird? Okay. Um, and, and this whole time he's, he's been, um, 
this, this sorry, I got, I got distracted. Let me come back. This, this whole time he's been teaching them this, um, that he has come from the Father, from heaven, that God has sent him. And, and in fact, if you're unpacking what Jesus is teaching the disciples, he's saying, I am God in the flesh. And so at this point, at the end of his life, before he gets to the cross, after he's been walking with the disciples for three years now, they're starting to get this thing, right? That God has come from heaven and visited us. In fact, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, where it says he gave up his earthly home and came and became, uh, uh, humbled himself and became a servant, it gives us this image of God who is in heaven becoming fleshly man on earth, dealing with the temptations and the struggles that man deals with. And now he's going, hey, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven right? Um, I'm getting ready to go back to the home of God, and, and I'm going to prepare a place for you there, right? That, that my home is now going to become your home, that my dwelling place is now going to become my dwelling place. Now, I don't know if, about you guys. I remember when I was reading this scripture as a kid growing up, right? And, and I, we read out of King James Version of the Bible, and it says, in my house there are many mansions. I used to love that passage of scripture because as a kid, here's the deal, right? As a kid, I always, I shared a room with my brother, um, my brother is a—I mean, I like my brother. Um, I might even use the word love for my brother. I love my brother. Don't tell him I said that. He's not here. Uh, I love my brother. We got along well. Um, um, he didn't bully me. He was older and bigger than I am. Uh, he didn't bully me. He didn't beat me up. He didn't steal my stuff. But there were days in my childhood where I was like, I will have my mansion now, right? I did not like sharing a room. I, I, and I had this image of heaven, right? Um, what is it? Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where it says, um, um, I think we have that. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I'm like, okay, the present sufferings, right? I'm sharing this little bit of room with this guy. My brother, this is cool. Um, but but the, the present sufferings are not worth comparing. And so in, as a childhood, right, this passage where it says, in this world you have trouble, but take, uh, um, uh, uh, um, that's not what it said, is it? Uh, this passage where it says in John chapter, um, ch- chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my house there are many dwelling places. I'm going, wow, like this passage more than any other um, unlock my imagination about the plans that God has for those who put their hope and trust in him. And, um, and I'm going, I, I, you know, in my head I have this image of, I mean, the nicest neighborhood I knew is Niski, is it Niski Lake over on Cascade, right? That's the nicest neighborhood I knew as a kid. We would drive through there and look at Christmas lights at Christmas time. And, but, you know, you read, so I'm, mix, I'm mixing that imagery with, like, biblical imagery. So, like, I had Niski Lake with, like, streets of gold, right? And I had my house, like, that, like that, that's my house. Like, I had all that in my imagery as a kid, and it kind of unlocked my imagination of what heaven would be like, something that I longed for, that I dreamed of, that was beyond my imagination, things that I couldn't see but that I wanted oh so badly. And I, I mean, I think, 
I think there's a need within the church to recapture that imagination of what heaven will be like. In fact, we, we might not be able to grasp, well, we might not. We might not be able to grasp what God has planned for us. We will not be able to grasp fully what God has planned for those who love and trust him. There's no way that our minds can wrap our, ourselves around how good heaven will be and what the food will be, be like uh, or what our, the place where we stay will look like and how it is, how it will feel to have all of our needs meet, met, meet, all of our needs, I'm struggling this morning, y'all, uh, how it will be to have all of our needs met. Um, but, but I think this scripture, God wants to unlock our imagination and allow us to dream for a while about what it will be like when all of our needs are met by God in heaven and just sit there with that. Because what Jesus is doing here is saying that that heavenly place, that the joy of it and the pleasure that is found there and the magnitude and how marvelous it is is going to far outweigh and exceed all the hardships and all the struggles and all the suffering of this world. And so we even just think about our own suffering. But as we look at suffering and we see how bad it is and how terrible it gets, and not even just our own suffering, but the worst suffering that there is in the world and how bad it is and how terrible it gets. And we, we read the scripture and we go, this applies even, um, uh, even to them that I uh, reckon that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed, that heaven's going to be so glorious and beyond our imagination that we just dream a while and, and long for that. And so this passage of scripture has been read at almost every funeral, and I think rightly so, because there's so much hope here. Now, I, I, um, I dread going to, to funerals. In fact, for the longest time, I would avoid funerals. In fact, uh, until I actually had to start performing funerals, I avoided them, and, and I remember doing my first one and going, now, what did I do here? Because I always kind of, it's some, something about my brain um, kind of tuned out, tuned out or, or just, just would not allow me to be very present there um, in the face of death. Uh, dealing with the finitude of life, the fact that there's a birth and there's a death and there's a beginning and there's an end. And, and just something about that was just too vast for my mind to understand and, and didn't really want to deal there in that area and didn't want to think about it. And so I um, dreaded going to them and, and, and didn't, want to, didn't want to be in that space. Um, and I think even at that time, my faith wasn't, not, not necessarily where it needed to be, but it wasn't at a place where I was at a point of trusting God fully. In fact, I used to kind of laugh at um, um, revealing more than I should, but I used to kind of uh, laugh and chuckle to myself um, when we would call funeral celebrations of life because I felt like that was a way of using language to um, try to make something that was painful less painful. And I would sit there still in pain, and I didn't quite understand why we celebrated life. But as my faith grew and I got to know the living God for whom 
these promises are true, right? Where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I've prepared a place for you and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you so, so that you can be where I am. I got to understand why we would celebrate life and why we would use such words because I began to really believe that scripture to be true. And I found that there was a time that I wasn't believing that scripture to be true. I was just doing what the church told me I should do and not quite letting the scriptures sink in and affirming them in my life. But I found that as I affirmed them in my life, that God began to do something beyond what I could imagine that he would do. In fact, I remember sitting in a funeral for the first time, um, being in a funeral for the first time and struggling with the fact that I was there and the hardship and the pain of death that was there, but finding a smile kind of coming on my face because of what God was doing when I activated my faith in that space, right, and allowed God to meet me there in a way that gave me what Philippians calls, Paul writes in Philippians, a peace that passes all understanding. And I believe that's founded in passages like this where God is saying, if we believe this with all of our heart, that he's gone to prepare a place for us that's going to be more glorious and marvelous than we could ever imagine, that's going to be better than Misky Lake, right? Uh, subdivision. Uh, that is going to be better than... Uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the, the, your, your highest that your mind can imagine, that it's going to be so much grander than that. He's saying, hey, that, that thought is overwhelming, and it brings about in your life a peace that passes understanding. I think a challenge for, for myself that I'm still challenging myself with, and I challenge you with, is that in the face of, in the face of death, and in the space of grieving. Make sure you affirm the truth of passages like John chapter 14. That God has something planned that far outseeds, exceeds and is far greater than the moment right here. But even in the face of that scripture, the reality still stands that there's nothing more sobering than death, right? It brings a darkness that we didn't see coming. It overwhelms us and makes it hard to see. Sometimes it digs up past pain and makes it difficult to find our way forward. And what, Je what Jesus wants us to hear, though, is that death does this, right? It tells us a faith-shattering lie that he does not want us to believe. Jesus does not want us believing the faith-shattering lie that death tells us. Um, and, and that's that um, he, he, he shows us that uh, death is not as final as it appears, right? That's what Jesus is getting at here, right? That the lie that death tells us is that there's no more hope, that this is the end, that there's no way forward, that the, this moment right here is a moment of um, never-ending darkness. Death tells us a lie that faith cannot stand in that very moment. Death tells us a lie that Satan has won. And Jesus here on the night before the cross is calling that 
a lie, right? He's saying that death is going to tell us lies. Do not believe it. That the lie that death is telling you, that, that this is the end, that hope is lost, is just not true. And he's challenging the church to put their hope in the truth of Scripture that, that death is not as final as it first appears. In fact, if you just go back to this passage, listen to what he says. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Sign number one, that death has told us a lie, um, that there's no hope beyond the grave. Um, is that Jesus is kind of right here rolling out his plans after death, right? Jesus is like, hey, this is the night before, like, Judas is getting ready to betray me. I don't know if you remember last week where we talked about Judas. He's like, Judas is getting ready to betray me. These guys, they're going to come and arrest me. You're going to see it. They're going to hang me on a cross. If you know the story of Jesus's crucifixion, he was hung there on a cross with two other guys. They all hung there, right? They put nails in their hands and in their feet. They hung there until their body went into shock, and they began to suffocate because their bodies hung limp, uh, limp on the cross, and, and they died. All three of them died there on the cross, just like any other ordinary person that was hung on the cross would die. So Jesus is going, you're going to see me die like any other ordinary man would, but this is not ordinary. This is something other than ordinary because what you're going to see is that death does not have the final say-so, that death has not won, will not win, cannot win, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he's teaching them and challenging them to trust that there is hope beyond the grave. And so where death wants to tell us this lie that all hope is lost and that this is the end, Jesus is going, no, there's hope beyond the grave. There's a place that I've prepared for you that is so glorious. And I'm convinced that the church needs to recapture it's holy imagination of what heaven will be like. We need to remind ourselves that heaven is this glorious place that God has prepared for us. We need to allow that thought to kind of sink in and soak in, and we need to long for it, not long so that we stop working here and stop being productive here, but we long for it in that we don't allow the cares and troubles of this world to become too heavy and bog us down so that we stop pursuing the Lord with our might and all. What Jesus is saying is, do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me that belief in God is this trust that God has something fundamentally better prepared for us and what Jesus isn't doing here and I want to be careful here what Jesus isn't doing here is Jesus isn't going um all right disciples 11 of y'all because Judas you know I know Judas was the betrayer and he was no longer around um, he's not going, all right, 11, 11 of you. Um, you're going to see some difficult things. Uh, he's not saying suck it up and deal with it, all right? He's not saying, hey, listen, stop, don't be babies. Are you going to see me crucified? Right, that, you know, he's not saying, uh, all right, don't be, don't be babies. Don't, like when you see me hung on the cross, don't cry. Uh, don't, don't find any emotion uh, just, just suck, just tough it out. Be a, that's not the Jesus that we're finding here. But we're, we're, we're finding the Jesus that's saying, all right, all right, um, 
um, you're going to see some very difficult things, and they're going to be soul-crushing, and it's going to bring you to tears. It's going to bring you to your knees. It's going to be the most devastating experience of your life. And he's saying, even in the face of such devastation, there's something so much more glorious, so much grander and greater that God has prepared for you. And so don't believe the lie that death tells, but put your hope and trust fully in God. Because there's hope beyond the grave, and that hope fortifies the heart. There's a scripture in Thessalonians where it says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It challenges us to put our hope in the living God. And I believe that this is intended to be, this right here is intended to be a hallmark characteristic of the church. The way that we encounter death and hardship and suffering. Because we've seen that the church in the past, in fact, there was a, um, a saying that was true in the time that Jesus, followers of Jesus were being taken, um, their lives were being taken. It's, that's the blood of the martyrs. It's the seed of the church. That quote kind of emerged out of a time period where followers of Jesus Christ were being killed for their faith. And what they began to see is that as they were being killed for their faith, the disciples continued to persevere on faithfully and continued to live into their faith. And when everything else said, give up and quit, and when situations in life made them feel like the burden was too heavy for them to carry, they continued to press on and the church grew. And I think for two reasons, I think one, it was the miraculous intervention of God. I think, uh, I think one, it was the miraculous intervention of God. I think two, our faith shines more brightly in the way we push through by faith, moments of hardship and suffering. In fact, God's glory is clearly seen when our hearts are fortified by trust that there is hope beyond the grave. Right? That, that the glory of God is more clearly seen when, when we do that. And one of the things that I see more often or fairly commonly is that when, when we go through hardship, um, man, and I, when we go through hardship, there's a tendency within us all, whether it's, a, a, whether it's a, just a stressful time in life, whether it's a, a period of depression that's been brought on by death or struggle, whether it's even just in the face of death and all the emotions that 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 can bring up, that when we go through hardship, one of the tendencies that people have is to pull away, um, and even to pull away from their faith community, pull away from God and from the church. Um, and I think it needs to be said that pulling away from God and the church in moments of hardship and suffering, that is the wrong thing to do that the scriptures teach us that that God has placed you here on a journey with him and that all of this is going somewhere, 
right? That all of this is leading somewhere. And so I think Jesus is challenging the disciples even here. This night before Jesus is crucified, he's saying, you're going to see something so devastating and soul crushing. The temptation that you're going to have is to walk away and go home, right? To go back to your wives and say, we missed it. You know that guy, Jesus, he failed us, right? We've, we've come to a point of failure. We, it's time to give up hope. You're going to go back and you're going to explain to your kids that, hey, I was away for a while following this guy, Jesus, and it just wasn't worth it. That you're going to, it's going to become clear to your co-workers, to the disciples, right? When you go back and you repurchase your fishing rods from the pawn shop and you say, I'm a fisherman again, right? Because this Jesus guy I followed, waste of time, right? He's, he's telling them here that that's going to be the temptation that you're going to have when you see me hanging on the cross in the face of death. And you're going to think catastrophic failure has happened. There is no more hope. Your temptation is going to be to turn and walk away. Same temptation exists for us today. that there are hardships in this world that are so hard, they begin to shake our faith. And that's what Jesus means by this word, trouble. He means a destabilizing situation that makes us question the very foundation that our life is built upon. A situation that causes us to ask the question, where did I make the wrong turn? And everything comes up for question. And the problem is, too often, even our faith becomes questionable. And we begin casting doubts on that firm foundation. And we pull away from the church. And so I want to challenge you, Tri-Cities Church, I want to challenge you as we are currently signing up for our city groups to get in a city group, which is a small community here at Tri-Cities Church, which will encourage you as you walk in your faith. Um, um, it, it will be a community that you can stand with, you can study the scriptures with, that you can be encouraged by. And here's the deal, right? It's too late when hardship comes to say, where's my community? I'm forming my community now. It's too late then if your community that will encourage you and stand with you isn't formed before the storm. And so, um, um, yeah, I mean, I wish there was like a death weatherman, right? Uh, like the hurricane that was coming and everybody, like I'm watching people on Facebook and like I have friends, they're like, We're, I'm filling my tub, I'm stocking up on food, like down in Texas, right? I'm doing these things in order to prepare for the hardship that can possibly come into my life. That just doesn't, we don't get those kind of warning signs in life. And we're, we're just coasting through life. And then when storm hits, we find ourselves alone, pulling back from everything and not drawing into the community and finding the community. Uh, strength in the community that God intended us to live in. And so, yes, join a city group. That will be your community. Find people that you can walk with in faith. Be a consistent and regular part of Tri-Cities Church. Begin to press in now, and when storms come, press in even more, because your only hope is found in God. And that's what the scriptures are teaching. In fact, Jesus is teaching us here in this passage, John chapter 14. Um, he's teaching us that this is, not, this is not another coping mechanism, right? 
this isn't, um, the teachings of Jesus is not another way to make it through life, right? It's not, um, like the, the Bible doesn't have a sub, subtitle, right? The, the, the Bible, happiness in your darkest hour, right? Um, the Bible doesn't have, have, I mean, it doesn't have a subtitle like the Bible, joy for the journey ahead, right? It, it, I mean, the, the, Jesus, Jesus is not teaching us a, a new religious system. He's not teaching us some um, 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 moral uh, uh, construct. He's not teaching us the pathway to happiness and, and uh, satisfaction and fulfillment in this life, right? That's not what he's teaching, right? He's showing us that all this is going somewhere, that we stick with Jesus in times of trouble when the foundation appears to be shaken, right? We stick with Jesus in times of trouble um, because all of this is going somewhere. It's leading us back to God. If you look ahead in John chapter 14, uh, chapter 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Um, uh, 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 well, sorry, let me back back a little bit more. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pick up, I don't know, where am I trying to pick up? Chapter, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, this is Thomas, right? So Thomas, I'll, I'll back up even a little bit for verse 4. And he, he says, oh man, I'll back up a little bit more. Verse 3, sorry. Um, he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This very verse right here, Jesus is saying that what I have been teaching you is not to be reduced to the pathway to happiness, wholeness, fulfillment, and satisfaction in this life. There is a troubling existence ahead for you. There are hardships on the road of faith. We don't want to hear it, but it's true. We're going to experience it. We're going to come across them. And, and he's going, I'm not necessarily teaching you how to be happy and how, how to have a fulfilled life. I'm teaching you how to find your way back to God, the one who created you, and the one who does have a place prepared for you, and that that place will be full of joy, right? That place will be full of pleasure. That place will have all of your needs met. That place will have plenty of room and space for you. But the road there is going to be hard. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Because this is the only way to get there. You see, Jesus is teaching his disciples to continue to follow me, even when it looks like all hope is lost. And I, I find myself having to sit with this scripture and say, what does it look like for me to believe that is true 
in my own life? What does it look like for me to press in and to follow Jesus when I don't see how this situation is going to work out? To press in and to follow Jesus where I can't see how God is involved in this situation that I find myself in. To press in and follow Jesus even when it's dark and I can't find my way. That's why I love the light imagery that we find in the scriptures. That Jesus is the light of the world. That he's the one, the only one worth following in our darkest moments. He's teaching his disciples that he is the way back to this life God created. And so we allow our imaginations to open up and allow ourselves to dream of what heaven will be like and how glorious it'll be and how all of our needs will be met there and how it will be pleasure forevermore. And we allow that to drive us into following Jesus more closely even when it seems not to make sense even when our situation makes it look like something different is happening you know Jesus um, concludes this section with this um, promise and it's one of the most astounding promises in all the Bible I think and that's where I was reading just a moment ago I got ahead of myself John chapter 14, verse 12. Listen to what he says. I was trying to get here for a reason, probably, because I just love this passage. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I've always marveled at this passage where it says, greater works will you do, right? He's talking to his disciples. That in there, these are the guys. Do I need to remind you the kind of things they saw Jesus do, right? The water into wine, the healing the man born blind, the healing the guy that hadn't walked in 38 years, the multiplying the fish and the bread and feeding 5,000 with one little boy's lunch, right? They've seen him do all these incredible things. And here at the end of his life, he says to them, greater works you will do. Um, and, and people have wondered what this means. And, and there's all kinds of opinions out there about what this means. I've heard some people say that he's talking about the impact of the church, right? That there's going to be this church is going to be birthed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that out of this church, there's going to be thousands of people that are going to be sent all over the world. And the greater works is the works of the church. I've heard people say that. I've heard people even say, listen, they didn't know we were going to have like iPhones and smartphone technology. And the greater works are the, the impact that individuals can have through social media like Facebook, right? We can tweet stuff. We can uh, update people on Facebook. We can encourage people we'll never meet uh, a day in our lives. We, we can connect with and even share our faith with people via the internet. And so I've heard some people say that the greater works that Jesus had in mind were those things. And so there's all kinds of ideas about the greater works that Jesus is referring to here. And there's a tendency within us to want to know what those works are, at least within me. I'm going, all right, show me what I'm going to do, right? You, you fed 5,000, can I feed 10? 10? Um, there's a tendency within me to want to know 
what those works are and what they'll look like and how all of this will play out. And I think we need to sit here with this scripture and rest in the not knowing and not allowing the fervency of our faith to be dependent upon our full understanding of what these greater works are. But simply trusting the God that is able to do greater things through us and we might not even know the full impact of what he's doing through us. You see, Jesus is again calling the disciples to be faithful above all things and to trust the greater works to rest in the hands of God Almighty. And so it's saying yes to God. I believe that you created me for something greater. In fact, I believe this verse is raising the sights of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's saying you are not just trying to improve your life. There's great work that God has for you to do. And so when you pull back from the church, right, when you pull out of your community, when you make a decision that, all right, I'm going through a hard time. I'm not going to live out my faith here, but I'll be back soon, right? Uh, When we make that decision that we're not just missing out on, um, I'm not just um, knocking my blessing, right? Um, I am missing out on the greater works that God intended me to do for the glory of God and for the good of the world. And so what Jesus wants us to see is that there is great work that can only come about through the church as we press in consistently and regularly live out our faith, not pulling back in moments of hardship because that only hinders the church from fully glorifying the God who is worthy of all glory. I feel like Jesus is saying to the disciples right before the cross, to press in during these moments of hardship. Because as you press in, I will be more glorified. The world will be blessed and you will find yourself on a journey back to God himself. That gives the church this new, renewed sense of purpose that God is doing something greater here than just improving our lives. He has work in this world. Jesus, I think, has in mind when he says greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. I think he has in mind disciples like us being spread out all over the whole world who are willing to humble themselves as Jesus just modeled for them in John chapter 13 when he washed their feet saying, I'm not too good, I'm just a servant willing to serve. That he had in mind disciples who were going to humble themselves and then begin praying God-sized prayers. You see what he said there, right? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Uh, Disciples whose imagination is unlocked about what God might want to do in this world through them, the impact that God might want to have through your life. Disciples who are fully dreaming 
God-sized prayers and praying these things and allowing God to bring them into being. Disciples who are committed to glorifying God and living obediently according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, Jesus has in mind disciples who are spread all, out of the, all over the world who aren't so much concerned about what are these greater works and how exactly will you do it, but disciples who know that there's a God who's able to do it and are willing to just live faithfully through it. That's a challenge for us. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to, to read this scripture that has been an encouragement for so many. And God, we, um, we thank you for all the hope that is here in this passage. And that we don't have to go through life as people who have no hope. But that we can put our hope in the living God. God, I just pray that the hope we have in Jesus will bring new life into our bodies. That we'll find our minds recommitting themselves to you to following you, to living for you, for taking seriously the discipleship journey. God, I pray that we'll find ourselves saying yes to you, both in times of ease and in times of suffering and hardship. That we'll give you a yes, trusting you, knowing that you're the only one who can see us through. God, please strengthen our yes. Please strengthen our trust. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.